El Camino People de Podcast, episodio 43. Ultreya Fellow Pilgrims, I am José Maradonaz, your pilgrim friend, and this is El Camino People, the podcast. Today, in our show, I'm joined by Quinton Wall, who will be my awesome co-host today as we talk about the different Caminos that he walked all over the world, some of them Caminos de Santiago, some other not. So we'll walk from Incredible, the PCT, the Kumano Kodo, and some other amazing trails. So. Be sure that you have paper to write down all the amazing trails that you're going to discover today. Also, we will be talking about, you know, photography. He loves photography and he will let us know about the little tricks and why taking pictures of the Caminos, why that, you know, that beautiful hobby. And we will talk also about how you can spend a life, you know, traveling. Like he's a lucky person that has been able to mix uh, both work and travel and he's uh, gonna tell us a couple things there. Also remember this week, the big, the premiere, the great way, the documentary about Caminos all over the world. So such a great pleasure to have today this episode with Quinton and we will be probably, you know, telling you more in the stories and lives through this week that we will be, we are invited so we want to thank the, the team from the from the great way so we'll be in the premiere and we will let uh, you know how it goes so but for now just go with the interview Hi everyone and welcome to El Camino People, the podcast. Today we have uh, one of those fellow hikers from the Camino that we met on Instagram probably like three or four years ago already and it's been like finally we were able to, to chat. So how are you doing today, Quinton? I'm great. Thanks for having me. How do you pronounce your name? Because it's one of those I never heard and... Uh, Quinton. Quinton. Yes. Okay, so Most of my friends just call me Q, although I found out in France asking people to call you Q is not a good thing. <laughs> so we'll call you Q, Q for easy way. So thank you for being today finally with us. I know you've been all over. You've been hiking this year. You've been one of the few that has been able to, to travel and work at the same time. So it's great to have you here and have the all the input for the ones that don't know you. I, I invite them to go check your, your Instagram and, and they will know it just a view of what we're talking about. So how has been the, your latest hike? You've been all over Turkey. I was in Turkey for uh, about eight, 10 days hiking the Lycian Way, which is beautiful. It's only relatively new, but scenery is amazing. People are incredible. And it does have a Camino feel to it, which is great. That's one of the things like, I, 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 you know, a lot of people, they ask me when we're talking about trails right now, this seems like there's new trails coming out every day, but there's some trails that they're like, we were talking before the interview, you know, the PCT, the population that is ex mountaineering. It's like when you go to the Alps, it's another feeling. And there's some others that they have the, the Camino feeling. We should maybe write a book, the Camino feeling trails of the world. There is something special about the Camino. And I think 
historical trails versus maybe mm -hmm. a wilderness trail like the PCT or Appalachian yeah. Trail. And Lycian Way, I think it's about 20 years old in terms of it being marked, but it's a very old route in terms mm -hmm. of a, like goat herders and the local population using it for thousand years. Yeah, I guess all the trails over Europe, Turkey, even Asia, you know, they are all in a way that the new thing is that they've been just, you know, marked. Uh, yes. That doesn't happen in the States. Some of those are really man-made in the late, probably 50 or 100 years, even though the BCT probably is one of those trails that historically has some connection to it, no? Appalachian is the oldest one. Oh, the Appalachian. And PCT is actually relatively new in terms of, I think it's maybe 30, 40 years old, but mm -hmm. Appalachian from a historical perspective is probably the oldest in America. Yeah, North America, probably something in South America will be the hardest to take. Think a trail or one of those. Yeah, that's a beautiful one. Oh, also tech? Oh, yes, I've done that one. That was my very first one. I My dream growing up was always to see Machu Picchu. So. I think after we finish with the one-minute questionnaire, we're going to do the one-minute trails that can, that Q has <laughs> hiked, so just to make everybody jello. So I've been fortunate, we, yes. So we always started with a one-minute questionnaire. They are all Camino-related questions, one minute. The whole idea is to see how many you can get in one minute. Are you ready? Sure. Let's do it. Your first Camino? Uh, the Camino Francis. How many Caminos? Five or six. One Camino to choose? Uh, I think the Francis. It's just special. One month to walk? I would probably go through France. One city? Maybe Conque. Um, a memory? Coming down towards Pomferrada, I just remember on my first Camino, I was so central in the moment that nothing else mattered except looking at the scenery, and it was just special. A happy moment? I think every time I get to St. John Peterport, it's a special place for me. One color? Blue. One smell? Uh, fresh grass after rain. Canteen or coming back? Uh, camelback all the time. Apple or Android? Uh, Apple. Fisterra or Mushia? Uh, Fisterra. Coffee, uh, espresso or with milk? Uh, with milk. Wow, pretty good. So far, so good. So just to get the, the, the ice breaker, tell us your top 10 hikes that you have done. I know that they are much more than, than 10, but to make it short, what are your top 10 that you walk uh, it might be hard to do a top 10, but I think obviously the Francis is certainly up there from a pure beauty perspective. I think the Tour mm -hmm. de Mont Blanc is a really incredible hike. It's only about seven days, but incredible scenery and incredible place. Yeah. Going in spring or in the summer is yeah, incredible. It's beautiful. So, and you come down from the, the mountain refuges that we were talking about and just incredible. Also, the refugees in the Mont Blanc have the same feeling like the Camino. A smaller version, but it's still, and you find people walking and they don't say Buen Camino, but kind of like people yes. greet you pretty well. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's those two are really good. Um, there's a track in Australia where I'm originally from in Tasmania called the Overland Track. That's about seven days. That's very remote and very, very beautiful. But bring a rain jacket. It always rains. <laughs> and I'm probably much, much wilder, no? The, the... I'm sorry? It's much wilder, um, I bet. Probably there's yes. more refugios, more backpacking, no? There are huts spaced okay. out. So they, they have the huts, but they are much more much more remote huts. There's not mm. much there except for four walls. But that's that's kind of the point. There's kangaroos that you see or... Or not, really? not so much on that trail, but um, 
there is a story of the Tasmanian tiger, if you've ever heard about the Tasmanian tiger. Of course, who haven't seen that, you know, in the in the Looney Tunes. Yes, that we all, we all grown up with, but we don't know what kind of animal really is. So that's the Tasmanian devil, which is smaller. They're there as well. But Australia has interesting, interesting animals. That's for sure. Yeah, that's one of the things for sure that, you know, people from from this side of the of the world, we just know that, that Australia, you know, spiders, snakes and weird animals. That's that's all we hear on all the Internet. But we, we just say that to the tourists to keep them out. That's OK. And you're doing a cool, really, really good job this year with the COVID and everything being, you know, locked down. And it's one of the countries that I guess is, is been doing the best, probably one of the easiest ones also to control. But it's one of the ones that I also have so many friends over there. And there's so many trails to discover that once yeah. I think it's over, I think it's also going to be beautiful, too, because it's so different than anything else in the world. That it is very different. I've no? been fortunate because they're on an island, they can close their borders. But um, I always think that I've done a bunch of trails and then I find new trails all the time. There was one I <laughs> discovered in Australia called the Lara Pinta Trail. It's about two, three hundred kilometers and it just looks amazing. So. Wow. We'll put it on the list. I think we're going to have to create a, a list of trails to hike with you. Yep. I, I, I don't know if I have enough there. years to leave for to finish all of them. I did put one on my website and ranked the hikes that I've done. Really? Well, okay. Well, we'll put it on the notes so everyone go and take the, the Kington list of hikes of the wall. I'm like, it sounds like a really cool name for a book. <laughs> it is actually probably a good idea. I tried to rank them in different ways, like length, scenery, yeah. accommodation, those type of things. That would be fun. You know, the, there is the, we can do a list of, you know, the best top to, to drink beer, the best top to hike, the best top to find love, the best top to get lost, the best top to, to get murdered. <laughs> I don't know. They can be the, the top 10 of anything right now. I think it's a good idea. So everyone needs a bit of a break from normality. Yeah. And now I think more than ever, we all need to go and hike and, and hug a tree and, and get a drink with a stranger and, and just talk about life. I agree. I always say the, the Camino and any long distance hike is cheaper than therapy. <laughs> it is. It is. It is totally. And I think right now is when Europe is going to all go over there. Yep. And it's starting to open. So I'm excited about that one. And I'm yeah, we're going to see first pilgrims here in San Jan the other day. There is even a couple of new albergues opening in San Jan on the way up to, to Horizon. There's a new albergue oh, opening nice. on the way up. So people now have a, one more stage to to wait for that uphill climb all the way to, to Roncesvalles. I didn't think that hike up the Pyrenees was that bad. It was for me, it wasn't bad. It's, it's, well, it's most the road and like the, the, you know, the asphalt is just it kills me. If you put that on a normal trail, but I, I agree that for a lot of people is I'm like you and I were used to hike, but the first day I seen so many people staying behind that it's just funny. But, but I think it also depends a lot on the weather. Yeah. So the first time that I did the Camino Francis, it was early in the season, I think end of March. So the mm-hmm. Pyrenees was still closed. So I went the Valcarlos route. The Valcarlos. Yeah. And that had a lot of snow on it already. So that's was, horrible. Walking the Valcarlos with the snow on the on the on the on the road is just yeah. you. I would highly but, recommend doing a Pyrenees. Yeah, but I will recommend anyone that is listening, remember that the pass when it's closed, is closed for a reason. There's people that has been found dead yes. on the trail. Not because it's dangerous, it's because you get lost super easily. And if you don't know the area and if you're not still backpacking and you don't carry a GPS or even with the GPS, you know, yeah. mountaineering, they do it. It's open for mountaineering, but it's closed for pilgrims for a that reason. Year, that year that I did it and went the, the Vakalos route, another couple went over the Pyrenees, even being told that it was closed. And I met them in um, Roncesvalles mm-hmm. and they were a wreck and they finished their Camino there. They went home. So. Yeah. 
Oh, the, if you're gonna do that one, you need to be, you know, like mountaineering, like you have the correct gear, have your correct, just in case what happened, I can stay a night because the people that die over there were because they get lost because of the fog right. and it's super easy to get lost once you get up. I could certainly see that for sure. But wait for the summer, it's beautiful. Just wait for May and, and you will be able to do it. So let's go to business. When someone from Australia that moved all over the world find out about the Camino de Santiago, what was the first time that you discovered? Were you, were you really a hiker mode person or, or was there something that got you I, into hiking? I'd been, I've hiked most of my life for sure, but I, I was trying to remember this just preparing for, for us meeting and I was actually in the Himalayas. I think I was doing maybe Everest Base Camp or the Montsalarat or somewhere like that, that um, I remember meeting a gentleman from Europe and him telling me about the Camino de Santiago, and that was maybe early 2000s. And I kind of put it in the back of my mind, like so many other hikes that I hear about, wrote a note and thought about it. And then over the next few years, I think this is a common thread that I hear from anyone that's done the Camino. It starts calling you and calling you until eventually you can't ignore it. And I think by about 2010, I was obsessed. I read every single book I could. I planned everything. And then finally in about 2015 was when I was able to go the first time. Wow. I think it's the, one of the most different stories. You know, most of the people is a book, a friend, but never heard anyone that discovered the Camino at the Everest. I think that's a pretty cool place. And yeah. also why someone at the Everest will be talking about the Camino Santiago, no? You will guess that people at the Everest, they're all mountaineering, you know, talking about the, the, the big stuff, no? But no, there's a lot of there's a lot of general i wouldn't consider myself a mountaineer by any stretch yeah much more of a hiker and like on the camino you have the mountain huts and they call them tea houses there but at night you're sitting around talking and sharing travel stories and other things from different people and places in the world and i think this gentleman was from belgium or somewhere i can't quite remember but i was always fascinated by historically how someone in europe could leave their house just turn west and keep walking that inspired me yes it's funny that you say that because when when i did my first camino one of the songs that will be singing all the world all the time will be the go west mm -hmm. and i will be doing doing stupid videos and it's just it's just funny how in europe as you said you know i think the the farthest someone has ever walked to santiago's from russia i remember reading that story that's fascinating and that's one of the things that intrigues me the most i've been researching the longest camino goes from russia all the way through you know south yeah. africa but that will be lovely to the one year, but it's just I, incredible how people have the, the will and the necessity to walk. Yeah, sometimes it's just freeing and peaceful. I did the best I could living in kind of West Coast in America a few years ago. When was it? Um, 2018. I flew to Beijing and then went overland via Trans-Siberian Railway through Russia all the way till I got to um St. John Peter Port, and then I started walking. So that was my plan of like going west and staying on the land the whole time. So I crossed the Eurasian continent and then kept walking once I got to the traditional Camino routes. Best I could wow. do, but at least I felt like I was leaving my house and heading west and just following the sun. What a journey. How long did it take you? I was gone for about three months. months. Well, how long will be that walking? Uh, I only walked from uh, St. Jean Peter Port, so I was okay, on the so. Camino Francis. So that was 25 days or okay. thereabouts. Normal, normal Camino. I was certainly happy to walk after weeks and weeks on a train going through Russia, that's for sure. So. That would be incredible walking all the way from Russia or, or Asia all the way to Santiago. It would be amazing. So I would love to do the Silk Road. Maybe not walking. Wow. Right there, there, are, there are 
finally coming out to life again is one of the things that they're trying to develop for tourism and also for industry. And I hear a couple of movement in the world that they say that Silk Road is finally getting more into. And I think it makes sense. It will be probably with the Camino Santiago and the Cumano Codo, one of the oldest roads in the world. Yeah, maybe you could combine the both. That would be a, an impressive walk. Poof. I think we, we need to work for a long time as freelancers to, to be able to, to afford or just go and walk for a month, walk for an, work for another month. And then maybe this is the new, you know, working yeah, from know. home. And that's the thing that I learned that there's always someone you meet that has walked further. Like there's a gentleman on Instagram I follow now. I think his handle is the world walks and he is. Oh, I interviewed him. He's an incredible guy. Oh my gosh. It's fascinating. Five years walking across the world. And there's another dude that is walking also that interview also in one of the previous interviews that was following him and he got a stack in the Canaries. He took a boat all the way. So he's kind of like on the same journey. Yes. Walking. I don't think I could do that, but it does sound good. For me, I think I can probably do it for a year, but I don't think I can I can take five years of my life to walk. That is a very long time. It is a lot. And and giving every and also it's not the walking, it's the leaving everything behind. Because when you walk for the Camino, it's great because you leave everything behind. Mm-hmm. But you know that it's waiting for you when you come back. Yes. Another thing that I learned. You can't run away from yourself no matter how no. far you walk. So. And doesn't matter how how far you go, how long you've been out. You go back to your hometown and everything's yeah. the same one year two years but five years you're different even after doing the say the francis i always recommend people do as much yeah. as they possibly can mm-hmm. you do come back changed yeah and that's the whole point there is a research in Zaragoza and the university that to get into the research you have to walk more than 50 days okay 15 days and yeah. they interview at the beginning and at the end to see what and how pilgrims change when they walk the camino you see people are happier and lighter by the end of it without a doubt for sure but also that they cry when you're when it's time to go home <laughs> yes they realize they have to go back to their their normal life so how was your first camino my like first for you camino. a hiker already i'm like coming from the from the everest uh, and so many other hikes suddenly you go and you start in saint john how to was be, the feeling to be honest i thought it would be easy and i would just go straight through it. But the first 10 days, I really, really struggled with blisters and sore shins. And I really, really struggled. It was interesting. One of my motivations for doing the first Camino is I really wanted to get back to sounds very cheeky, but I wanted to be able to feel things again. I'd just been doing things in life and not really thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And the Camino has a way of giving you things, even if it's a different type of feeling than you expect. I felt all the pains and things that forced me to slow down, which I think I needed, but I certainly didn't expect to do it through like endless blisters for the first 10 days. It is incredible because the Camino has that thing that it will give you whatever you need. It doesn't matter what you're waiting for. Yes. And you can just say you hiking, you know, the Himalayas, there's nothing harder than that. And I seen, you know, football players, people that are super in shape being the most painful suffering the first day and people that is 70, 80 years old walking with no problem. So there's something magic in the Camino and, and giving each one of us what we need in the moment. Yeah. Even if you don't expect it's what you need, it, it comes. And I, I was fortunate to meet a, a woman who helped me a lot. I think I would have given up early on if I hadn't met this woman to help me finish off some of the days because I was really, really struggling. And it's, and again, it's those connections that you make on the Camino that I think make it much more special than a lot of other hikes. Yeah. I think it totally is about the people. No? That's what this whole thing started. Okay. So how was the the first day you get to all those blisters, but 
coming from all those highs, what was the difference? I'm like in your brain, what were you probably you were comparing? I'm like, how does it feel like being in a, in a tea house in the Berez or being, you know, in the appellation or being anywhere else? The, the actual hiking itself wasn't too hard. Although, as I said, day one, I was on the road almost the whole way because mm -hmm. the Pyrenees was closed. I don't think that helped very much with, with blisters and getting going, but I loved the, the albergues at night. It was just that, that communal feeling of the, the people and the conversations and the stories and coming from Australia, I'm just fascinated by people that can so effortlessly change languages and speak in French and German <laughs> and Spanish. And it's, I, I'm okay with Spanish, not very good with German, but I'm just fascinated by it. I love it. Yeah, it's one of the things that still surprised me also, you know, Spanish, we are not the best ones to speak in languages. Now we are getting better. But it still, when you see, you know, a German or French that speak five languages or someone that is coming from yes. Russia that speaks seven languages and is so freely changed from one to the other. Yeah, fascinating. I think the Swiss is what always fascinates me. Like the, the German Swiss that are on the border mm -hmm. so fluently switch between languages. It's, it's a real yeah, It sucks. I'm like, we have to study so hard right now. You know, I've been lately studied Chinese for three years and I think I can do numbers, saying hi and a couple more things. <laughs> it's horrible. I learned Chinese for a little bit until I gave my birthday, which apparently is a very unlucky birthday. And the, the woman didn't want to teach me much anymore. Really? My birthday is um, April 4, 1974. And so four in the Chinese four, language, four. very, very close to the word for death. So it's the equivalent. I know there was something good on you. I'm March 28th. So, you know, we are both area. So. But uh, four is kind of the equivalent of unlucky 13 in <laughs> so funny that's one of the things that i love about the chinese the whole you know it's not the it's not just the language you have to learn the culture at the same time and that was yes. that intrigues me the most but i think that's the same with most languages for sure yeah but the chinese i think they're much a lot of more little things that i don't know for me it seems like you know even the the, the drawing of the letters and everything has a meaning True. and, and the intonations are very difficult well, there's no way. They said that the only germans can kind of speak perfect chinese from you know other than chinese itself but I did learn one time um, when I was learning German, you can say ich schlafen die Metrosi versus ich schlafen die Metrosi. One is I sleep on a mattress. The other is I sleep on a sailor. <laughs> the beauty of languages, you know, even Spanish from here and Spanish from Mexico is different. Like, yes. Um, it's, uh, it's just beautiful. And all of that gets together in the communion. That's when I think one of the, the magic things that happen. So how was the, those days? And I said, you keep going in the communion. What? at the top memories that you have, you know, on the Camino Frontes? It was, that first Camino was definitely, I've read so many times where the, it's broken into the three phases where the first is you're really just kind of breaking yourself in and then you mm -hmm. get to the Maceta. And I've heard so many people skip the Maceta and I have to admit, I loved the simplicity of it. There's nothing to distract you from the views and from, yes. from walking. Although I got to Hontanas and I was having a really hard day and stayed there for a day, got a hotel there and um, just kind of re-energized and met some of the, the personalities that you read about on the Camino. And that there are towns like that, that have the spirit of the Camino that makes you just continue on and post, uh, post the Maceta, I really found my stride in terms of walking. And I, I was looking back at some of the photos that I took, especially past Cruz de Ferro around um, Ponferrada. Mm -hmm. I was just, totally at peace. I have all these photos of ladybugs and flowers and plants and things <laughs> that I would usually not stop and pay attention to. 
but I think my mind had let go of everything else and I was just walking easily and in it, just in peace, just enjoying the moment. I think it's one of those that times that you work before you get, as you said, in peace, but if you have work to do, that's what everything comes out. And I think that's why a lot of people skip them said that because they are afraid, yeah. not the loneliness and the, the walking, because at the end for me, I always been doing it in the summer. It's like just walking on a Windows XP, you know, desktop. It's just mm -hmm. walking. There's nothing else. Yeah. And the Masetta was, I thought the Masetta was really beautiful. It was, again, sometimes the lack of, or the, the lack of distractions is, is kind of amazing. I live pretty close to the, the beach here in California. And it's not that I actually really like the beach or the sand or anything, but mm -hmm. the lack of buildings and the space is a very calming thing. Yeah, something special and, and nothing, and just yeah, being there for kilometers and kilometers and just nothing. Yeah, I agree. And how was when you were already arriving? You know, a lot of people they say oh, the Brado is one of the other points. You know, when you start climbing up, how was the feeling of of getting ready to close to Santiago? I was really strong at that stage. I I ended up just at the bottom of the climb up to Osobreo that everyone had warned me is really difficult. I I ran into the woman that helped me back early on in the day and we still keep in touch now and is a very good friend. And I just powered straight through there. Then I was in a zone. I was just a walking machine at that stage. And <laughs> I was, I'd been looking forward to Galicia for so long. It's, it reminds me very much of Australia where I'm from in uh, Melbourne, the bottom part of Australia, like very lush green mm -hmm. forests and things. And just the walking through there, I think was the best part for me in terms of scenery. Yeah, so it's just something beautiful in arriving finally after the desert to see all, all the trees, the eucalyptus, the, the the green of Galicia, also the, the rain, because probably the time you, you walk it was probably pre-rainy and cold. I'm like, we still, this year, the last time that it was snow in, in Ocebredo was a couple of weeks ago. My first Camino, I was fortunate. I had very few days of rain, a few around like carry-on, but after that, not too much. But I did love... And I still do it here. Whenever I get homesick, there's a few groves of eucalyptus trees nearby. And I was surprised that there were so many in Spain and Portugal of eucalyptus groves. And mm -hmm. when I walk through those, especially after a rain or a shower, you get that smell of the eucalyptus. I know all the smell. That, that brings me home every single time. So if I, I ever bet. feel homesick, I find a, a eucalyptus grove. For me, it reminds, it reminds me of the Camino because that's the only place really that I, you know, here in Spain, they, they plant eucalyptus because of the fires and it was something so easy to grow there. And, and yeah, it's been always hit. On but the it's Portuguese, such a there's a lot too. Yeah. But yeah, it's beautiful. That's that's probably my favorite smell. And how was the, the arrival to Santiago? Was that something, you know, I've been talking lately with a lot of people because of the books and the movies, we have created this Cinderella, you know, this Disney movie mm -hmm. of our arrival to Santiago. And lately I've been talking with a lot of people and for them, it's been one of those, you know, not bad, not happy, but just another point of the Camino. It doesn't seem like everybody, when you think of the Camino, it's like, oh, the arrival, you know, this beautiful moment where there was fireworks on my heart. And sometimes <laughs> it's just another day, beautiful, but just another day. What was in your case? It was a it was a special day, and I I remember I'm not sure if it's the same person that but the person that plays bagpipes all the time in that small archway when you yeah they usually switch because they, they have a system that they lift papers and there's yep. the, the lady that sings and the bagpiper and I always remember the bagpiper and I from an experience arriving it was great I think I was done walking my first Camino I didn't go on to um, 
Fistera or Umushu, my second one I did, but I was mm -hmm. done walking at that stage. From an arrival perspective, the thing that stands out to me is I was alone. By that stage, I hit my stride again and I outpaced everybody that I walked with. I think that first Camino I finished in 23 days. Wow, so what was your average distance a day? By the end, I was easily doing 40 kilometer days. One day I did, I think it was like 56 kilometers because I was just enjoying the walk. Mm -hmm. And so I, I outpaced all the people that I started with. So it was a little unfortunate that none of them were there and I waited a few days, but I was five, six days ahead of them. So I think that's my memory. It was a great experience arriving, happy to be done, but the people I'd walked with early, I didn't see them again because I moved so fast at the end. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the things that I always tell everyone, you know, when you're right to Santiago, stay at least a couple of days and just go to the Brodoiro and wait for people. And then you can leave to Fisterra Mushia, but just stay for a couple of days yeah. there because seeing other people and, and yeah, recognizing a face and smiling is just something I, special. I stayed for 10 days. 10 days. I, I had a flight to Africa after that. I was doing some volunteering work. So I had plenty of time. And every morning I would go out and sit in the square and watch pilgrims arrive. And I, I totally agree with you. Spend a few days and just watch people arrive. And just sitting in, in those arches. You know, for me, I go on those arches with a book, sit down over there and just seeing the smiles, people it's hugging. Great. It's just. Yeah, it's great. It's just remembering every time. So. After that, that was your first Camino. How was, we were talking at the beginning that people changed in the Camino. How was the, the queue that started in Xinjiang to the queue that finished in Santiago? I had this idea in my mind a long time ago that I'm going to figure out the meaning of life. It sounds as mm -hmm. cheesy as it is. And many, many years ago, I thought it was recognition. Everyone wants to be recognized for doing something good, mm -hmm. for helping, whatever it happens yeah. to be. But during my Camino, I had... I had a moment where I realized, at least for me, it's not recognition because that's so external. I mm -hmm. want you to recognize me for doing something good. Uh, and what I found was that for me, it's much more about acceptance, accepting who you are. Maybe I'm not the most social person. Maybe I'm not this or maybe I'm not that. But be okay with that and accept it and stop finding all those things. There's enough bad things in the world that try and pull you down. Don't pull yourself down. And after that, and that was just before, I think Leon, maybe Astorga around there. Mm -hmm. After that, I was at so, it, the rest of my hike was just calm. That's why I could walk 40, 50 kilometers a day because I just was not thinking about anything. Everything was lifted. Yep. Which is it's why I had photos and photos of ladybugs and flowers and trees. It is funny because, you know, for people that know you, I'm like, you're a really successful guy in your life. You've been working and hiking and being able and, and you know, finding so many in the community and something so profound as that. A lot of people, because I think that really a lot of people go to find the meaning, not to, and like we may be going finding the meaning of life, but it's the meaning to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we'll go to the Camino with that backpack, no? And once you let it go, is that when you, when you can walk freely and when you start, you know, seeing the beauty of that lady bear, I remember, you know, watching a snail crossing the road for, I don't know, yeah hours and just when you when you find that moment it's like who cares right now anymore and you just your brain goes quiet and that's that's why i love hiking so much and i purposely in my own life prioritized living versus working like mm -hmm. i will i would change the type of jobs i do or work and why i work freelance now so i can prioritize the things that are important for me one of those things is traveling and hiking and 
there's enough work out there to to do things and i'm fortunate i work in computers so it makes it easier but mm -hmm. i always get my laptop so i'm always working at some point but i can do it on the camino do it in an albergue at night or somewhere like that it's it's but that's also you know, you're touching base on another topic that a lot of people would say you know we and I know that, you know, we judge in the Camino a lot and that happened to me. And since the first time that somebody slapped me in the face with the story, I don't judge anymore. I'm like, it's your Camino. But some people, you know, if they see you walk hiking the Camino and suddenly you bring your computer and you start chatting us like, oh, this is the average American with a MacBook Pro because they always carry a MacBook Pro. All the freelancers that hike the world, we all carry a MacBook Pro. So it's like... Mine's smaller. That's okay. <laughs> I'm a MacBook Pro all night, so. But a lot of people will think I'm like, are you really walking the Camino? Are you working? What are you doing? I'm like, but I would like to you to go a little deeper in that one because I truly agree. And like, you have found a way to mix both your love and your and your job and do what you want when you want. Yeah. And it it takes practice. What I do find is you can't do a little bit of work all the time. You have to take a few days off every now and again and just work, then put the laptop away and hike again or something similar. So that's generally what I try to do. I'll take a few days off every seven, 10 days, really get the work done, get it out of the way. Then I won't open my laptop again. I've been in technology most of my life and I would happily never have a, a phone again or anything like that. That's, that's my job, but I, I put it away and I put dedicated time for it. It's the best that I can do. Mm -hmm. But having that job also allows you to go anywhere, hike for 10 days and something yes. that someone else will have to, you know, get a probably a gap year to be able to do half of what you have done. Yeah. But I also prioritized it. So I, could, I think, that, yeah, I could do different things. And right now it suits me tomorrow. It, it, it may not as well, but I like the balance. It helps me stay sane. I can get out there and hike and just slow down. And I agree, you know, right now I'm, I don't have the time but able to do it, but I go run. I run marathons and, and I run because it's the same, you know, that's what gives me the freedom. And I think that a lot of people right now that says like, I don't have 30 days to the Camino. I don't have 15. I'm like, if you don't have 30, maybe think about if you can get it or maybe think about if you can have 20 or 10. But I think sometimes people, you know, we put those barriers, those walls just to say, no, I can't because of my job, because my family, whatever. I seen anything from... 80 something years old walking the Camino to families with four kids, babies, to people with no legs. So what is your excuse? No. And everyone's in a different position. So it's hard to say, of course, just take 10 days off or 20 mm -hmm. days off. Not all of us are, are that fortunate. Many work paycheck to, to paycheck, but I yeah. do think everyone can take 30 minutes and go for a run or a, a walk in the trees. And I honestly believe that is the best sort of therapy you can get. For sure. So you finish your Camino. That was the new time and then you decided to go back. What happened that you decided after so many other hikes on the wall, it's like, oh no, the Camino's calling me again. There's a few hikes that I've done that it sounds strange, but I don't think I did correctly. Like I felt like I rushed through the first Camino and I felt like it was very internal. I didn't stop and look at a bunch of the churches and go into areas that I thought I would. So mm -hmm. I really wanted to go back and go a little bit slower and do it for me much more of an external thing. Take my time, look at all the churches and the, the side trips and all the, the small kind of detours. So, so I went back in 2017, so about two years after I did the first one, I did, did the Francis again. What time of the year this time? Uh, that time I did it in May. I'm not a big fan of hot weather, so I try and stay away from the real hot I did that one in, in, in July, so yeah, we missed 
into yeah, the first couple of months. But ironically, I ended up doing that one faster than the first one. So really, but I, I saw all the things that I wanted to see. So well, that's one of the things that a lot of people, you know, and I, and I ask, I'm like, there's so many Caminos. There's Del Norte we were talking prior to, you know, the Portuguese, the Pia de la Plata. Yes. And you living abroad and hiking so many of the communities, you decide to go back to the Frances again. And you go back and then you walk it faster than the first time. I walked it faster, but I felt like I saw much more and spoke to more people and made deeper connections. Like I uh -huh. met a man from Belgium who'd left from his front door and walked. And I met, I met a bunch of people from France that started in Le Puy on Valais and had walked further as well. met a gentleman that started from Rome, not your friend, but another gentleman from Rome, and then he was on his way back. So I felt like I wasn't in my head so much. I was there mm -hmm. just for probably the exercise versus the spiritual, which was the first one. Yeah, so the first one, the, the, the backpack was lifted and the second one was just to enjoy yourself. Correct, yes. And then, how was the, the arrival in Santiago the second time? I... I blew past it, to be honest. I stayed for a day and then went to um, Fisteria and Muxia because I'd spent 10 days last time in Santiago and I knew all mm -hmm. the streets and the good coffee nice. stops. Yeah. So I spent, <laughs> a day, I spent a day there just for a rest day and then kept going. And another big question, Fisterra or Muxia, which one to choose and, and why? If you have the time, do both. I went I to... Which I went one to, first? Because that's also another question. Then, I went to Muxia and then ended in Fisterra okay. just because the traditional mile marker is there, although there's one in Mushir as well. So mm -hmm. I think Mushir is probably more of a spiritual place, but I spent two days in Fistera afterwards. It's easier to stay there from accommodation. Yeah, for me, I always said, you know, I suggest people to go first to Fistera and to finish in, in a good way in a party, you know, go with the family and have some drinks, a bonfire on the beach, and then go to Musia to unplug and get ready to go home. But both are beautiful in their, in their own way and really the marker the marker Santiago. So I don't know what is the who was the smart guy that put the mark the zero market over there. But well, I just think it's fascinating that historically it was the end of the world and my that's what it's the beauty. I'm like, yeah, my country from a European perspective is only a few hundred years old. No one had even thought about it at that stage. I'm like, yeah, well, we're funny to know how far were you from your hometown? You know, from Fisterra, like in the old days. It's a good question. I did end up. I'm not sure if it was on that. Camino or another one. I think it was that one. I actually did one of the hikes, the Milford Track in uh, New Zealand, and there's mm -hmm. a lighthouse at the very, very bottom, which is effectively the end of the world to the south. And I took a rock from there, and that's the rock that I left at Cruz de Ferro. Wow. It was as far as I could imagine getting a rock from somewhere that was at the opposite end of the world, and I brought it. That's incredible. So I guess if someone goes there and puts a piece of bread, and someone goes to Finisterre and puts a piece of bread, we're doing a Earth sandwich. Maybe, oh, maybe. Yeah. It's a long way away. <laughs> and then you continued your second Camino. Was there a third Camino? Yes. So after after the Francis in 2017, I did the, the same year, I did the Comuno Codo, which I'm not sure if you consider that a Camino or not, but they are UNESCO. For me, I think it's one of the few ones that can be considered as Camino, as the Camino de Santiago, first of all, because it's one of the, it's the only one else that is in the UNESCO. Also, because the brotherhood of the Camino de Santiago, for the ones that don't know, if you walk the Comuno Codo and the Camino de Santiago, you had what is called the dual pilgrim status. You get like a super powerful and you became, they give you a cave, no, they give you a pin. Yeah, I really liked it. And I did see quite a few Camino signs along the Camino Codo as well. So it felt related. So how was it, the Camino Codo compared to the Camino Santiago? 
the quickest way to think about it is it's much shorter depending on the route you do and there's numerous routes the most popular one is about five days mm -hmm. you find that just when you're getting into it you're done so i always suggest do a few of the other routes when you're there they're each two three days in addition but it feels very similar in the sense that you stay at um they're called onsens but the equivalents of say an albergue refugio as well mm -hmm. but the food is incredible it's like somebody yeah. is making you a five-star sushi dinner and there's often um there's often like the hot springs which are the onsens that you can say that they're a little more expensive no they're more like an airbnb style because it's so usually it's people houses no that that host you for a night right. the end. Yeah. and you have to you have to pay, buy it all as a package to, to start with is the easiest way you can't just show up because it's actually quite difficult to find the places to stay because if you don't understand the the language like I didn't, it's it's difficult to interpret sometimes. There's one thing that they don't speak English at all, no? Not many. No, it's very it's a very rural part of Japan. So as they like to hire a company and get a whole package set up or Yes, it took me a while to find it, but there is one website that you can go to that you can plan it all and they book it all ahead of you. Yeah, right now the, the province over there, I know the, the guy that ran the tourism over there, they have a big setup and it's getting more known as the Camino also. It's very mountainous, so it's up and down all day, every day. Not super high elevation, but you're constantly going up and down. But it is very, very beautiful and very remote. And what is the, the feeling of the pilgrims over there? Is there anything, you know, like the Camino family or you walk by yourself and like... You mostly walk by yourself because the places that you stay at night is maybe one other person if you're lucky. So I never heard of anything that had five, six, 10, 20 people like you might on the, the Camino. So it's, it's much more solitary is the mm. way I would describe it. And it's really, you know, a lot of people that walk the Camino, they say it's more spiritual than the Camino, or at least that people that goes there goes more for the spiritual part of it. It's definitely more spiritual, but I don't think any less than, say, the Francis. I think mm -hmm. where the Francis feels less spiritual is there's just so many people. Yeah. But if you do some of the other routes on the, France, um, the, the Camino in Spain, you can get that sense and feeling as well. I did the the Portuguese from Lisbon and the, especially the first part to Porto, it felt very spiritual. You're going to these old towns like Coimbra and Tomar that have so much history and religious history. And I'm not a religious person, but it does have so much history involved in it as well. That's one thing that I agree with you. Even if you're not a religious person going to Europe or going to Asia and not visiting the religious temples, it's like missing half percent sure. of the story and also probably cheaper than any museum ever. So. Correct. I've been reading a book by a gentleman called uh, Timothy Egan about the Via Francigena. Francigena? Yeah, Francigena, mm -hmm. which is another one that I want to do. And it's. You, you haven't done it yet? I haven't done, have not done that one yet, but I do want to do it. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's one of the ones that it says that it, it's funny because I was talking yesterday with an Italian pilgrim that says, you know, how Italians come to Spain to walk the Camino, but yeah. Italians don't walk the Via Francigena. They haven't developed the the love for therefore and it's really in a, in a way the same of the Camino Santiago yeah it's, it's supposed to be beautiful and I want to start from Canterbury so go all the way oh so you're going to do it all down yes. from Canterbury all the way to Rome that's my plan next year hopefully wow okay maybe we'll see maybe we can that would be a lovely one so for the ones that haven't checked your Instagram or, or your Facebook yet you love photography I do you have one of the most amazing pictures I've ever seen and you have a style totally to yours so what will be the, the tricks, you know, if you can give us like a five minutes masterclass, two minutes masterclass, what to go to the Camino, you know, after having hiked so many Caminos right now, 
everybody's going with a DSR, everybody's going with a GoPro. There's so many things out there that there at the end, sometimes I think they take time of your Camino, as you were saying. Sometimes you know the Camino is for what it is. And right now also, if we have a, a good phone, I'm like, right now I'm like going with the iPhone and it's just incredible. So they are amazing. The the only thing that I find with the iPhones and any smart camera, uh, smartphone cameras, they are really good, but they struggle with contrast. So if it's mm -hmm. bright sky and then dark somewhere else. So I, I carry a mirrorless camera. It's not a, a super big one, but I got into photography because I wanted to slow down and enjoy the moment. So for me, I guess my biggest, you can learn all the skills and techniques and um, anyone wants to reach out to me on Instagram, I can help them with something on that side. But for me, take a moment and compose the photo. So many times we just pick up our phone because it's so convenient, take a quick shot and it might be fine, but it's not structured. It's not centered. Mm -hmm. and you're not actually capturing a moment that you want, like you're, you're creating something there. Whereas so many, we, so many times these days, because it's so convenient, we just take a snap and keep walking. That's, I like to stop and think about the moment. Yeah, I think one of the things that, you know, taking the Camino, maybe you will think that you're missing the moment if you take, you know, like three minutes to set up the picture. And, and I took a couple of classes and the, the rule of the thirds and how to set mm -hmm. the scene at what do you want to focus. And it is so important because sometimes we try to rush it. And when you rush it at the end, you ended up having thousand pictures of nothingness. They're crappy. And then you have to go through like a bunch of filters. So it'll look more Instagrammy and you right. feel so yeah. well of yourself. And it's, it's an interesting thing that with digital, you can take as many photos as you like. So it's not a bigger deal. You'll eventually get one good one. And mm -hmm. I, especially on something like a long hike, I don't bring a tripod or anything. So I'm not spending five minutes or so to capture a, a picture or a scene, but I will stop and wait for say people to get out of the way or wait for a cloud to move somewhere. And it really helps me just enjoy that moment. And I end up taking photos for myself, not because I want to make them Instagram worthy or something else. You see a bunch of photos that I have that are of coffee and sometimes just that moment in the morning when you go to a cafe and they make a great like latte art or something. It's just that moment that I want to capture for myself. I think that's a beauty, you know, I, I remember, you know, you start with a, with my old Nikon and, and I used to develop the, the film and everything and you, for every picture you take, it took you like five, 10 minutes just to set up because you know that it's going to be so expensive to develop it. And right now we went to the other side. We took so many pictures, but they are all still in our hard drives. And I yep. printed, you know, right now I print a book of almost every Camino and I try, I still have a couple to develop, but I try to put everything in folders. And as you say, you know, sometimes it's not the beauty of whatever is those memories that they bring you. And sometimes just like latte can be the best memory of the day or. Yeah, it's whatever. And I journal a lot as well when I hike. And so it's just capturing that moment. And if I can take a photo that goes along with some of those words, those things are what bring back a lot of memories for me. So what will be the top three tricks if you want to say someone, you know, to carry well, like in the Camino, what will be the three tricks for someone to take a picture? I would suggest bring a better camera than a phone, just because you do have to take it out of your pocket and you have to think about it. And contrast sometimes is really difficult choose the topics that you want. Is it people or is it architecture or is it scenery? Like the, the second time I went on the Francis, I intentionally wanted to take photos of people inside the churches and the architecture. So I spent a lot of time looking for those 
And I found I came away with a lot of great photos that had a theme. My first one, not so much of a theme. I was just taking photos of cows and people. And <laughs> I think that's the average Camino. The first one is yes, everything but the sink. Correct. And then I think probably the third bit of advice, edit your photos, but don't over edit them. I think so many people over edit them, add too much clarity or too many weird colors and filters, like make them pop, but don't change them. I think right now we are going on to the over-developed pictures and filters and everyone, you know, we've seen all these Instagram profiles that they all have the same filter. Right. If you have something guild related, they're all the pastel tones and everything. And if not, you have the 4K and the new uh, super high. I'm like... It's funny. I, I, I have a... The camera that we're talking to now is a 48 megapixel high-end DSLR. And I actually shoot with a 16 to 24 megapixel. It's a, it's a Leica, but I like a little bit of the graininess in it. It feels a bit more real. Whereas sometimes with the super high megapixel ones, it's so sharp that there's too many details for me to focus on. Really too sharp. That's one of the things. But for me, one of the things I find out that just with the Lightroom and, you know, basic filters, it really helps some of the pictures. You know, I used to go right now, I go usually with the GoPro, a DJI with the gimbal mm -hmm. phone. I used to carry a, a DSL also, but sometimes you are so quick that really just playing a little bit with some of those filters really help. And as you say, you know, sometimes you be because sometimes you over filter and it looks like. Yes. I think yeah. enhancing, at least in my way of working, enhancing a photo, like bringing out the natural colors, for instance, that are there, or maybe bringing out the shadows a little bit as well. That's what photographers have done since they used to put the negatives in emulsion and move them around and let them sit in there a little bit longer. But where I struggle a little bit is the big filters that change the photo versus enhance the photo. And I really try to avoid that. I'll admit that I've learned a lot along the way. Some of my photos from the Himalayas look like I was on an acid trip because I edited it so much. <laughs> and you eventually learn over time that just a little bit much more powerful than a lot. I know because right now, as you see, you know, there's a lot of pilgrims that they do crazy things. And we talk about Claudio. Claudio used to have a time where every all these pictures, he will, you know, remove the background and put the stars and everything. And, and you know, that was his style at the time. But yeah. if you see his pictures now, you see such a growth and so different. And I think we all go through that. We grow with pictures, we grow with Camino, we grow with the styles. And if you see my first Instagram, you cannot see it because Instagram decided to close it. But if you see even the first pictures from, from my first Camino to the ones now, it's nice how you develop and you focus on new things. Right now, I just focus on people, mostly. But that's the way you learn, and that's anything. I play a lot of guitar, and I'll constantly learning to get better and better at guitar. Same with photography. I don't, I don't give up. I look back at my old photos, and some of them are terrible. But <laughs> what I do find is that because I keep everything in Lightroom, some photos that I thought I couldn't save from years and years ago, I now have the skills in editing to save them and make them look pretty good. So don't throw anything away. Go back to them again and again later on. That's one thing. So I always agree with you. And right now with all the, the possibilities of storage, you know, I'm like, I don't know how many, I'm like, I don't know how many gigabytes you have of pictures. Yeah. Do you even know the, the number? Uh, gig, I don't know, but from terabytes. a perspective, I think I have about 50,000 photos. That's not too much coming from you. I'm like, right now, I think I have close to like six, 700 gigabytes of, of pictures. Yep. I know I that because I have like five different terabyte accounts online <laughs> just to save. Like I just bought a, a self-storage here at home and asked to keep all my pictures. But as you say, never delete a photo. You never know. No, I don't delete them. So. 
there's no point of that. So tell us, what is the next Camino that you are thinking about now what this looks finally, that today is uh, May 21st that we are recording this. And finally, we know that Americans and everyone being vaccinated is going to be allowed to travel into Europe. We know also that the UK is not letting, is doesn't, they don't want the, the, the people from the UK to travel to Spain, but Spain allows people from the UK to travel to Spain. And right now, the only thing they have to be is a 10-day quarantine and to the COVID testers. So it seems like things are back to normal. Over there in the States, it seems like in a couple of days, you're even going to be able not to wear a mask or going back to almost full normality, no? In California, it's a little bit later. I think it's June 15th that people can take off masks from fully vaccinated uh, individuals. But I am super excited that Europe is opening up, not only that it means the situation is getting better for everybody, mm -hmm. but I know tourism in particular has been hit really hard. So I'm going with my daughter over to Greece mid-June. And then after there, I'm going to start hiking from Le Poyon-Valais on the Via Podnesis with the plan to go to St. John, Peter Paul. It's been a few years since I've got back, so I want to go for a nice walk. And it's funny that in this case, you are not one of the things that a lot of people, they don't get is like sometimes the Camino Santiago doesn't have to end in Santiago. And right. I think that we have created this beauty that everything, you know, and it seems like right now, all the new Caminos, they're just small little Caminos that finish in Santiago. And I will encourage everyone just to, you know, maybe do the Aragonese only to Pamplona, or maybe do the Del Norte to Bilbao, or maybe do the Bastante in Pamplona, maybe do the Catalonian or, or some fun, someone, you know, from, yeah, from France and finish yeah. in St. John. I think the first two weeks of the Via Podnesis from say Le Puy to Montserrat or Conks, mm -hmm. probably the most beautiful Camino I've been on. That's what people said, that is so different also the, the style, you know, the houses that the few people walk in and the, the camaraderie. And it's, it's like walking through a fairy tale. Like there are old medieval towns that have not changed or were affected by the wars and it is just stunning. Mm. We would love but to. It, it's hilly, so be prepared. That's what people say, oh, well, always prepare if you're a pilgrim. So. Thank you so much, Kin Q, for being here Any today other? with us in your caminos. I can wait till you know. I will invite everyone to go and follow you on on Instagram yeah, and follow please. your website because they will for sure gonna be you know happy. And I guess it's always great to have this community of Camino lovers, hikers that is always oh, putting things on that list of of caminos to do on the future. Yeah, there are a lot. There's and the problem is no matter how many you've done, you always meet somebody that's done another one that sparks your interest in and that's the problem that you go there and there's always those freak caminos that walk with you that suddenly you're having a beer and they tell you about this new camino like the last one i heard of this one that goes through petra that is mm -hmm. kind of like new also that says beautiful and i'm like yeah, i know that one i haven't walking, done it but i know it so, yeah. so walking in petra not bad and then you hear these guys that they are taking five years of their life to walk over yeah. the wall and you're like that's a commitment that is a commitment that's a huge commitment but anyway Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for sharing, you know, the love of the Camino with all you do. And hopefully we'll meet soon. And as we always say, buen Camino, Ultreya. Ultreya. Maybe I'll see you in Pamplona on the way through. Hope so. 